Hey y'all, it's Nathan Resnick from Sourceify, and today we've got another epic guest on e-commerce on tap. This is a show about the entrepreneurs, creators, and agencies that make up the e-commerce world and the stories behind how they grew. Crack your brew because here comes another amazing episode. What is up all? Welcome back to another episode of e-commerce on tap. Today we have an amazing entrepreneur on the show, John James. John, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Amazing. My my pleasure. And you know, on e-commerce on tap here by Sourceify, we really first like to understand someone's background because there's such a diverse uh, group of people in the e-commerce industry. And we think it's so incredible to see how people actually got into e-commerce. So, you know, before we dive into the actual dynamics of what you do, can you tell us about yourself? You know, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? You know, really tell us kind of your, your upbringing and then what led you to, to where you're at today? So uh, I grew up in Arkansas in the middle of nowhere, basically. And I learned to program a computer in 1980. I was six years old. So I not too weird for a, a young kid to know how to program today, but super weird for a, a nerdy little skinny six-year-old to know how to code. So my dad uh, was a a computer programmer in the Air Force and and got a job as a data processor. So he's super early in computers as a whole. And uh, and so I was just uh, really lucky to be around him at such an early age. Started a bulletin board system in, uh, I think, 1989 or so. I was a um, wow. uh, 14-year-old in eighth or ninth grade and ended up having four phone lines uh, running into my bedroom and people would dial in from all over the country and download stuff off the bulletin board. And then, That's you know, awesome. yeah, it's, it's kind of a, as I say it, it's like, how did that happen in, in the middle of Arkansas yeah, yeah. In, in that time? And um, came to college in 1993, which was absolutely the perfect time. I mean, the Internet, not even I mean, most people didn't even have an email address uh, on college campuses in 93. But, you know, we had this broadband Ethernet going into into the dorm rooms. And so I got an early, early exposure to the internet, really before browsers were even mainstream. Netscape wasn't even out yet. I mean, you had to type in these series of digits in order to go anywhere online. And so I just learned the guts of Unix and the guts of uh, the back end of the, the internet. And through that started uh, my first e-commerce business in 1995. Uh, and I sold Quiz Bowl questions, which is basically a, a four-on-four version of Jeopardy for high school kids. Uh, we had won the state championship and I wrote questions and study aids and and sold them through direct mail and pointed people back to a, a very rudimentary early version of an e-commerce site. So that's really how I got into e-commerce was, was it was 20 some odd years ago, 23 years ago or so. Wow. What were you guys running on yeah. back then? I mean, Shopify, huh? <laughs> no, you, you would write your own HTML and you'd code wow. it from scratch. There were, there was really no way to do it other than to program it yourself. And you know, the, 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 there was no security in the shopping cart. I mean, we, people would just type in their credit card numbers and their PO numbers and there it sat in a text file. And, you know, it was it, it was kind of nuts the way it the way it worked. Um, fast forward a few years, I, I went to medical school and paid for my uh, med school education with with that little business. And in uh, 2001, I was an intern. So I'd finished med school working 100 hour weeks as a family practice resident. And about a month after 9-11, my brother 
uh, and I were hanging out and he was the president of a grill manufacturer, Sunbeam, which is out of business now. Mm-hmm. He said, we need to sell grills online. And I kind of laughed at him. I'm like, dude, I, I work a hundred hour weeks. I'm about to have my first kid. I'm running this quiz bowl business. You're going to no, you need to go somewhere else. Well, I was on call the next night. Uh, and it was the only slow night of call I had in three years. And I built grillstuff.com that night. And wow. I call him up and I said, hey, hey, man, go to grillstuff.com. And he looked at me and he said, this is perfect. Whose is this? How, where did you find this? I said, well, I built it last night when I was on call. I need to get some rest. Wow. But after I wake up, you know, we'll talk about it. And so that's how we started that business. We um, moved from there into several different categories. Auto racing safety equipment was probably our biggest one. We had uh, close to you know eight or 10 stores up and running and uh, bootstrapped a 10 plus million dollar business in, in a couple, three years. It was a pretty quick rise. So yeah. That's incredible. Well, what would you guys do for fill for, for like fulfillment and you know, how were you even sourcing products back then? Well, you started by fulfilling it out of your own basement uh, and you started by answering yeah. your own phone calls when you'd have problems. Right. And of course you did because Geez, I'm not a professional fulfillment guy by any stretch. Right. Um, you just kind of you'd you'd have to know people to source products at that point. And so my brother was the president of probably the third largest grill company in, in North America, and he called uh, other grill companies like Weber. We were probably the, we were definitely the largest single location retailer of Weber uh, on the planet, and and then we went from there and. Uh, uh, auto racing safety equipment, which is a smaller industry, a little easier to get into. My, my brother's a national championship racer, so we were able to get in and do that. Yeah. And that was a pretty neat business. I sold it at the end of 2008. And in wow. January of 2009, hey, I only start businesses at the height of financial crisis. So right after 9-11 <laughs> and then the financial crisis of, of 08. So January 1 of 2009, I started Acumen Brands. And the, the thesis around that was different. Uh, I had seen an article in Harvard Business Review that said, in times of crisis, brands that spend money on marketing uh, take over a huge amount of market share. So that's what we decided right. to do was uh, we didn't know what we were going to sell. We didn't know what we were going to do. We knew we were going to build our own software, uh, and we knew we were going to you know, spend a lot of money on marketing. But that was really the thesis. Um, we, we started to find some smaller niche categories that hadn't been exploited like scrubs, medical scrubs. That's a perfect example. It was about a $2 billion industry and mom and pops were the ones kind of dominating it. So we kind of came in and said, well, we want to be the professional sports team in a group of high school uh, teams. And that's what we did. We opened yeah. uh, scrub shopper, uh, then immediately opened a store called tough weld, which was workwear like Carhartt and Dickies and uh, that kind of stuff. So built a six million. Like, were you guys selling other brands' products, or were you sourcing directly? Like, where where are you getting the products that you were selling? Uh, from other people. So it was all. Uh, we were just a, a dumb retailer uh, when you boil it down. So we were. Uh, we we'd get wholesale contracts and and try to buy the things smartly. So we we did not take inventory uh, a lot of times. So we would start off as dropship. But then it morphed nice. pretty quickly uh, into a business where we, we installed robots. We raised the first round of uh, venture capital in Arkansas in over a decade. And with that money, we, ins- we, we built a, the, a, an exquisitely efficient split case fulfillment center with Kiva robots running around it. And um, wow. so fully automated, uh, you could place an order and it would be out the door within 15 minutes. I mean, it was it, it, for 2009, it was unbelievable. 
Um, from there, we opened, you know, about 20 stores on our own software. And that's kind of where what led me to Engine, which we can get to later. But mm-hmm. um, we built our own software to run our own stores. And it was pretty fantastic, uh, the, the system that we built. Um, we had 20 stores running. We were really a harvest demand model off of Google. So someone searches for, let's say, cowboy boots. Really? Uh, there were 135,000 searches a month off, on Google. And we would harvest that demand. Well, if you look over in Facebook, this is where it got interesting. Facebook's platform yeah. was just coming out. You could just start advertising on it. Well, there were 18.2 million uh, women potentially that could wear cowboy boots. Redneck women, as I call them. When I'm married to a redneck woman. I can say it. And I'm a redneck myself. <laughs> you can't say it. I, I, I can. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so 18.2 million in the demographic, but only 135,000 of those every month are saying, Hey, I want, uh, I I want cowboy boots. So we thought if we could somehow go up the chain and uh, establish a relationship with them. And that's what we did. We, we built 9 million Facebook fans, uh, had 11 million email subscribers, and we did that in about four or five months. Um, wow. And, and so, this was when Facebook's advertising platform was really starting. So you could really, uh, I mean, it's, oh, it was a lot easier to do in some sense than it is nowadays. It was a lot harder to execute, but a lot easier on the, on the, on the pay-per-click side. So, I mean, you, you could buy mobile clicks for a penny. We could get email subscribers for like eight or nine cents and, you know, we're making four and $5 off of an email subscriber when targeted right. correctly. So yeah, it was shooting fish in the barrel. Like just like the early days of Google, you used to be able to buy the word right. barbecue grill for a penny. Well, it costs a dollar wow. now, uh, way more than a dollar. Um, right. So yeah, we were right place, right time, ended up raising, you know, we grew the business from about a $5 million revenue run rate to over a hundred million dollar revenue run rate in three months. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate how you source that much in product, right. uh, you don't. Uh, so we were selling excess and obsolete from every manufacturer, and we cleared out the whole industry of excess and obsolete. We even took product from other retailers. I mean, that's how desperate we were wow. to just to have something to sell. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Right. Raised a uh, ninety three million dollars Series C uh, from General Atlantic out of New York, uh, and it was probably one of the four or five largest ecom financings uh, of all time at the time. And we did it right there in the middle of Arkansas. It's kind of nuts. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that just goes to show that you don't have to be in these hotbeds to really grow an e-commerce company, you know? You don't. It's a great field leveler. It democratizes commerce. And uh, an ex-doctor sitting in the middle of Arkansas can build a you know, $100 million business in, in 39 months. Right. Uh, that's a pretty incredible uh, piece of technology. So after we um, did the round, we we, we sold the majority of the business uh, and I stepped away about 18 months after that and started an e-commerce startup studio. So we started 12 businesses uh, in the span of about 18 months, all of them e-commerce related. The first one was a a tuxedo rental business called Minguin. We moved them from Atlanta to here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, two years after they moved here, they sold the business for $25 million. So that was, you know, we, we got lucky on our first deal, had a, had a great group of partners. They were doing about $5,000 a month when they moved here. So it was a tiny little business and to scale it up that rapidly wow. was great. Uh, the 12th business out of you, that. I got I to oh, yeah, ask, go what, what, what made you believe in that business and, and kind of want to spearhead that growth? 
Well, number one, I like the dudes running it. Justin and, and Bogdan and the guys on uh, on the Minglin team are just they're just cool. They're fun to hang out with. Uh, number two, their net promoter score was better than Zappos. So, I mean, if, if you rented a tuxedo from them, people just absolutely loved it. So I knew they had a good product, um, good product, good team. And I saw a way to spread it to the masses. So uh, I came in and said, hey, here's some of the marketing tricks you ought to do. And um, you know, all the credit goes to the team. I just kind of nudged them in, in a direction that I'd seen work before around email collection and how you nurture a lead. And, uh, they, you know, that was, it was just a great team and a great product. And, you know, I gave them half of a percent of, <laughs> uh, of value on that. They did all the work themselves. Right. That's incredible. So what was next after that? I mean, it sounds like that was one of, of quite a few different e-commerce companies during that, those years. You know, our second one was Aptigee. It's a it's a school communication platform, um, which doesn't seem like e-commerce, but it really is. They uh, they build school websites, uh, apps for the school, communication platforms, basically a CMS for uh, for the management of a school. And um, uh, they raised a six million dollars Series C or Series A, which is you know those are rare in Arkansas. I think it was the fifth or sixth one in the last decade. We were the first and second and third of those and. Um, so it was pretty neat to see um, uh, one of our companies do well. And, you know, I'm super optimistic. We had a board call with them this morning, and they, I think they've got 70 or 80 folks that they've hired from one person when we co-founded it. And then the 12th and final one out of there is Engine. So that was that was the whole goal of this was to increase entrepreneurship in Arkansas. Yeah, make a few good investments. Uh, but ultimately, it was to find the one that kind of was better than all the rest, and that would be the one that I ran, and that's that's Engine, our new plat- e-commerce platform that we're building. Yeah, so tell me more about Engine. I mean, I checked out the landing page. It looks like you've got some pretty cool stuff cooking over there. We, we do. We, we've got the gang back together. Jim Kane, uh, I've known since sixth grade. Uh, he, he actually helped me build the bulletin board system when we were uh, youngsters, 14, 15 years old. And uh, he was the CTO at Acumen Brands, the first employee. And, and every venture capitalist we, we had uh, on that team said, Jim's the best CTO we've had uh, in any of our portfolio companies. So it mm-hmm. was uh, pretty neat to know that, hey, I grew up with this this guy. I've known him for decades. And so, yeah, this is kind of maybe maybe our last go around together, uh, building building a final software project and really thinking about simplicity, but for an upper level store. So if you look at Shopify, we're never going to beat Shopify. They're as super simple as you can get. If you if you want to pay twenty nine dollars a month and your mom and pop and you're selling three widgets, well, Shopify is perfect. Right. If you start right. selling half a million or a million dollars a year, you start to run into uh, the problems with Shopify, it's you can have right. it in any color you want as long as it's black. It's uh, highly uncustomizable. And um, so you start to see this ceiling at half a million or a million and definitely by two million dollars of annual revenue. And that's where we want to come in. So we want to be an upmarket version that's highly customizable, yet still a managed cloud hosted solution that is insanely simple to get up and running. Um, so you, you take that kind of as the demographic and how we do it. And then you layer on top of that, some of our secret sauce of what we did with 11 million email subscribers, how you would manage the life cycle of a, of a lead. Um, and so we've built a lot of that marketing technology built into the platform. So it's an e-commerce CRM. It's, it's all that kind of in one. 
Well, yeah, walk me through some of the main features. I mean, I'm trying to understand more because, you know, there are a lot of, you know, seven, eight figure sellers that will be tuning in. And, and I, I think they would like to learn more about some of the core features that in terms of, you know, even just that, that email CRM system you're talking about, you know, right now, probably a lot of these guys use like MailChimp or Klaviyo or stuff like that, um, or Bronco, you know, walk us through kind of the core features that you think will benefit you know, these, these e-commerce entrepreneurs that are scaling up and really trying to find the right way to manage their stores and grow them. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that you'd say to those guys is how many different logins do you have to manage your business? And it's, you know, it's 12, it's, it's eight. I mean, and so what we want to do is have everything kind of in one system. And what's interesting about building that uh, email platform that I described to you, it's, it's really all about cascades and flows. It's all user-generated uh, events. So if user X comes in and does event Y, well, cascade of events Z should happen. And it's really hard to build that outside of the platform uh, it, itself. So, and we've done some integration between Shopify and Klaviyo and you can get about 80% there, but it's super hard to set up and, and get it done right. I don't think you can actually do what we do in Shopify plus MailChimp, but Klaviyo is not bad in, in that. It's just really, really, really hard to do. So to, to simplify that is, is one big thing. The second thing is um, the ability to customize and get into the actual code itself. So Shopify is a black box. Uh, Magento 2.0 is a black box. Uh, Big Commerce, Demandware, all those guys are black boxes in that you can change certain things, but there's certain things that uh, you, you really might want to change and get under the hood and be able to do. So we're, we're really looking for stores that have, you know, a full-time developer, if not two or three on staff. And in the past, what they would do is build their own uh, system from scratch. Well, I think that's a fool's errand today as well. I've done that. Uh, I had 30 developers right. and, and 20 designers just to pull it off to sell a lot of cowboy boots. So, I mean, then, uh, a lot of things like that. I mean, got we've got a lot of AI kind of built into the platform. Um, it's kind of the marketer's e-commerce platform um, and where mar- marketing and technology kind of intersect is where mm-hmm. where we want to carve out a little niche for ourselves. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I see, you know, companies, for example, that are scaling up so fast, like Movement Watches or Gymshark or all these, you know, incredibly fast growing brands and you know, sometimes I don't, they have to use it's so many different tools to track a user through their whole funnel. It's, it's sometimes crazy. And it sounds like engine could be a good resource for them that for them to utilize. Um, I, I want to dive into two kind of the, the dynamics that you see of scaling up in e-commerce, you, you know, you've grown e-commerce brands and invested in a lot of uh, different ones as well to, you know, eight, nine figures. What, what what changes when you get to that stage, really? You know, you aren't going to be doing the day-to-day, obviously. You've got to be focused on strategy and the greater vision. But when you're just starting out, like when you started out with, you know, uh, you and a four-person team and grew it to over 200 employees, you know, it's it's a different dynamic. But how does your role change as a, as a founder and CEO? You know, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask. I'll tell you my personal uh, thoughts on that. I mean, if you read Fred Wilson uh, from Union Square Ventures, um, he says a CEO should do three things. They should uh, make sure the company doesn't run out of money. Uh, They should recruit, hire, and retain the best talent. And then they should set the vision and communicate it to all the stakeholders. So if I looked at at me, 
maybe in the early phases, yeah, that's what I did. But I was I had a fourth task, and I was head of product, and I was also head of growth marketing. So I was the guy that um, you know ultimately decided what went on the website and why, and uh, and likewise what what ads went out on Facebook, what the bids were, how you would how would you would manage that, what's the SEO strategy, what's the inbound link strategy. So it's really weird as I look at, at, at my, as my role in CEO. Yeah, I made sure we didn't run out of money. I went and found venture capitalists and I pitched them. And uh, yeah, I, I, I retained talent. I never necessarily recruited it. So um, my job, though, as, as a five person company, I, I was the typical normal four or five person um, startup CEO. It was it was all those things and more. When you scale to 12, uh, all of a sudden, uh, now you've got some people doing specialized things at five. Everyone's a jack of all trades. Everyone can do everything. Everyone cross covers everybody at 12. You start to get a little specialization and we nailed that transition. The first five people around the table were rock stars, uh, a players attract other a players. So getting to 12 was super easy. We got the 30 pretty seamlessly as well. Cause again, A's wow. attract A's. Um, we probably uh, had three or four B players, maybe B minus players that would not stand out in government jobs. They would keep that for 50 years and, and, and be, and get top level evaluations, but they stuck out like a sore thumb in our team of A's and you call, you call it out and we got rid of three or four where we screwed up though, uh, is we grew too quickly. I mean, how do you not, I mean, if you go from five to a hundred million dollar run rate in three months, and you're hiring everyone right. that can fog a mirror. And we, we messed right. the culture up. I think to do it again, I think you go a little bit slower, a little more measured. It's a champagne problem. But nonetheless, we we, we got super drunk and <laughs> and uh, and messed up a lot of the culture that we built. So we had a lot of cleaning up to do after we did that. And, and ultimately, after 18 months, uh, after we sold the majority, I realized, ah, man, I'm not the right guy to do this. and don't want to be the right guy to do this. So right. learned a lot of lessons. Hopefully I won't repeat as we, as we scale up engine to a, a larger size. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because as you grow, you know, your focus and responsibilities change. And I think what my, you know, one of my biggest learnings as, as CEO of Sourceify is that you know, you've got to hire eight players that are, that, that can cross their specific, you know, goals, you know, for example, like our growth marketer has grown a blog organically to over 600,000 monthly unique, you know, I've seen the blog, I've seen the traffic, it's incredible what he does. And we're already ranking for some keywords that, you know, probably should have taken us two years to rank for. And so it's kind of just, you know, interesting as you grow, whereas when I started, I was doing all the growth marketing and it's a transition of really finding the right people to fit some of those roles. I want to dive into, you know, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes, but I really like asking what people think about the future of e-commerce. And, you know, we kind of see this trend in retail where retailers are sourcing directly from factories. You know, brands are basically going more directly to consumers. And, and it's crazy because for us, especially on the ground floor in China, we see all these factories that are asking us, how do we sell directly to consumers as well in America? You know, how do we sell directly on Amazon or eBay or credit on Shopify stores? What in your mind do you see as, you know, really kind of the future of e-commerce and, and what should we look out for? You know, are retailers all going to be gone in the next 10 years? Is, is everyone just going to shop online? I mean, what are some of the trends that, that you see? Well, the the trend of uh, being a retailer selling other people's stuff, it, it, that's over. Amazon won. Walmart doesn't know that Amazon's won, so they, they may come in a very close second. 
Um, everyone else has already lost that game. So put on your five to 10 year lens from now, retailers who don't have a very specific uh, value add to the equation just become a dumb supply chain and uh, there's no need for those. So he, what, what excites me though is just the opposite is that direct relationship to the consumer, the digitally native vertical brands, um, the Warby Parkers, Casper, uh, Bonobos was one of the first, Andy I believe is the one that, that coined that phrase and those are the ones that excite me and Going a little bit further, it's the ones of those that have such a good relationship with their end user and their consumer that they're not dependent on other platforms. I always say, don't be Google's bitch, meaning don't build right. your business around uh, an arbitrage off Google because it could go away. Likewise, don't be Facebook's exactly. bitch. And, uh, and right. gosh, I, I did it. I mean, golly, I had 11 or 9 million Facebook fans. And all of a sudden, my organic reach goes from 56% per post to 0.5%. So right, it's crazy. you don't control that. Problem. You've got to get them off the platform onto your own. And an email's good. I mean, it's the best thing we have today. But if you fast forward five or 10 years, I think the retailers that win and are the cockroaches and are still around, they're the ones that have figured out not only have a direct relationship with their own platform. And the easier said right. than done. Very, very hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there where, you know, everything's going more direct and, and online, like you're saying. I mean, it's just incredible to see that dynamic. You know, it, it's one of the kind of last questions that I like to ask because we do have some listeners that are starting off into e-commerce and really just starting to grow their stores. If you were going to go start your own brand tomorrow, you know, start your own e-commerce store, but with the knowledge that you've gained over the past, you know, years being in e-commerce, what, what would you do? You know, what would be your first step forward and how would you get to that, you know, scale you're talking about with Casper or, or uh, uh, all these other fast growing e-commerce brands? So I like to start with the brand and the and the target market first before I even look at the product. And that, that seems really interesting to think about. But first of all, you got to define who you're going after, figure out what what traits you share in common with those those people and figure out a way to actually talk to them. So I kind of start with the growth marketing strategy in the beginning. And then um, what is the, what is the product that, that fits that? And uh, that's a dangerous equation to go that way. Cause it usually starts the other direction, but all my success has been, right. you know, that, that opposite direction. So back in the day, you'd pull up overture search tool and you'd see how many people search for this keyword. And then you could go build a business out uh, around that, that business or around that keyword. And today it's the same thing on Facebook. So find a, uh, a decent sized total addressable uh, market that is not fully exploited and solve a real pain point for it with a product. And so uh, it, that's a very broad way of answering your question, but I can guarantee you it'd right. be a digitally native vertical brand that would start online and then would, uh, you know, branch out from there either through its own stores or selling to other retailers or e even Amazon, believe it or not. Um, but boy, I, I, I am excited to be building picks and shovels uh, in e-commerce software instead of actually being a practitioner, a miner uh, trying to do e-commerce these days. It's hard, and mm -hmm. it's, you can you can definitely still build a really really nice business, but it's quite a bit harder than it used to be. So I don't know. I don't know. That I answered your question, but I, I definitely gave you something yeah, I like, there. I like that approach. I really like that approach. I think 
a lot of people try to start with the, the product or something, but why not actually start with, you know, the total addressable market, like you're saying? I mean, that's a great approach right there. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. So, the other you know, John, way thanks so much for coming on. Or a solution in search of a problem. And what I'd rather have is, a, is figure out a solution to a problem. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. If people want to reach you, you know, how can they find you and uh, how can they get in contact? Find me on LinkedIn. And then my email is john at engineinsights.com. And we're moving over to a new domain, but LinkedIn is, uh, is definitely the easiest. And, uh, and I answer most things that come through my inbox, believe it or not. So, um, and also you need to send me your uh, content marketer's resume. I promise I won't try to steal him from him, from you or hire him or anything like that. <laughs> he sounds fantastic. And you guys are yeah. doing great things too. Yeah. And I've heard yeah. wonderful things and uh, maybe we'll hook up offline around uh, what you're working on as well. So thanks for your time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thanks again for coming on. And guys, that was another episode of e-commerce on tap. Tune into the next one. We'll see you then. And there you have it. Thanks again for tuning into e-commerce on tap. If you could like, subscribe, tell a friend, really spread the word about the information we're getting out there. That would be much appreciated. Also, if you have any manufacturing questions or need help with your manufacturing, feel free to reach out to Sourceify for the fastest growing manufacturing platform, helping hundreds of companies produce products around the world. Thanks again and have a great one.